Hey everybody, this is Brandon, and I'm the editor for The Staunch. I was just hopping in here at the beginning of the video to let you know that I lost the uh, audio files for the beginning of this video. So the audio is somewhat poor to start with, um, but it does get better. So I, I hope you stick around and listen to it and give it a chance. Thank you. Okay, welcome to episode three of The Staunch. Uh, myself, Jacob Stevens, here with my co-host, Ross Wade. Hello. And our special guest today is Indiana State Senator Mark Mesmer. So thank you, Mark, for yeah, Good morning, me. appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so before we get started, um, huge thank you for Mark for being here today. Um, as I don't know if people understand this or realize this, but state senators and state representatives also have full-time regular jobs regular jobs that actually pay the bills yeah exactly so uh it's a time crunch for them to do anything especially when it comes to campaign season so big appreciation for you being here today um ross had anything to opening say well you said the words time crunch and mark's familiar with time crunches because he's in the contracting business so that's <laughs> all too normal yeah a, no a normal busy week with a lot of things that have to get done today exactly yeah everybody's yelling at you yeah <laughs> okay um yeah so let's just start with this we'll, we'll get to know mark a little bit more for those that uh do not know um so mark how uh let's start off with the counties you represent okay yeah mike yep after redistricting you know so this coming election year and, and then after you know this moving forward it'll be all of gibson county all of pike all of dubois all of crawford perry and spencer i used to have half of four counties and all of two counties. Now I have, you know, still six counties, but, but the entire county, which is a heck of a lot easier to, to navigate when you've got a full county, you know, who, who covers what. And so I was very appreciative of that change. Yeah. Okay. And I actually, I keep tabs on Mark just to stay in, in the loop of things uh, in the area. And I see Mark all the time at um, all these festivals and parades and, and stuff. So, um, yeah, gotta do it. Yeah, definitely hits all of them, which is an appreciation. Um, okay, uh, let's say wife, wife and kids. Mm -hmm. I've been married to Kim for 37 years, and uh, we've got four kids, uh, eight ranging from 34 down to 26. Um, two boys, two girls, and then we have five grandchildren, ages seven, uh, one that's seven, two that are three, and two that are about a year and a half, and one more on the way. So that's really fun. <laughs> Grandkids are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a two, two and a half year old myself, and one on the way. And Ross has got three now. So mm -hmm. three. Yep. So it's fun. Um, okay. Um, let's do. Um, what do I want to say here? I'd say we just jump straight into the bill we were just talking about yeah. before we got on air. Would well, one of the questions you, you said you might want to ask is, you know, why I got into politics. Yeah, and really. It really all centered around the, uh, I, I ran for state rep in 2008. That was my first uh, political venture of my life. And uh, the, the common question is wherever I go, you know, why'd you decide to get in politics? Well, the, the gentleman that was a state rep before me 
2005, 2006, there was two issues really happened in that, all in that same time frame. One was the funding mechanism for I-69, and for those of us in Southern Indiana, uh, and, and the, the former state representative knew if there was no I-69, the Cranial Surface Warfare Center was told by the Defense Department that they would be closed with no, no interstate, no, your, your mission is going to be you know, distributed to the other Naval Surface Warfare Centers across the country. He knew that, but he still voted against the governor's funding mechanism, me mechanism to get it built uh, immediately with no, no additional public debt. This is under Mitch Daniels. Under Mitch Daniels. And uh, he knew it, and he knew he was putting our district in, je in jeopardy, uh, but he, he voted that way anyway. Uh, just pure, pure politics. And then right. at the same time, in 2005, there was a vote to put the state, the state on daylight savings time, and the 51st vote was uh, Troy Woodruff from Vincennes. Uh, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't want to vote yes, but, you know, they left the voting machines open, I think, about 15 minutes, and he hit the final yes vote to push it over. And uh, Crooks decided to make, you know, that issue hot and, and uh, kept it very hot for that two-year period by getting commissioners and all of the border, the border counties to the current central time zone, got a bunch of them to flip, caused a bunch of political, political turmoil across the district. Said he was going to try to put the state on central time statewide, you know, kind of, you know, and ran commercials against the governor, against Troy, just on that one issue, knowing that that would, you know, be the issue that would get Troy beat because he had committed, you know, to not support that in his campaign in 2004. Um, and the day after the election in 2006, Crooks announced that he was no longer going to pursue the, you know, the state on, you know, central time because his voters didn't really. You know, care about that issue. And I thought, I don't know. I, I mean, and I, I, I kept seeing him show up in our county. You know, when we had the time zone hearings, he was. I thought, why is he there? Why is he there? Well, he had, he had one goal, and that was to get Troy beat, and he did. And then he dropped the issue completely. And I thought, anybody that's going to play that kind of politics, I said, I don't know what's going to take to run against him, but I'm going to find out. Right. And so, the, you know, early 2007, I started the process of looking into how to run and. But, and, and your grandpa was one of my key supporters in that, in that venture. And, and by September of 2007, um, he said he wasn't gonna run for re-election. I, I knew if I whittled away his Republican support in Davies County that, that I would beat him easily, and, and he knew that. So uh, one in 2008, and, and I've continued on ever since. Yeah, so for those who don't know, we're talking about Dave Crooks, who uh, lived in Washington, Indiana for, for years um, now. Is, since moved to a more democratic area. Maybe they like him better over there, but actually Dave's a, a decent, likable guy, but he is. don't and agree the, with his politics. Yeah. So. And, and the day he got out of politics, uh, I mean, he, he was actually very, I mean, you know, through his radio station, he was very, you know, open to supporting me, and, okay. and uh, I mean, I, I really can't complain how he treated me. So, yeah, that's good. So, <clears throat> the two topics, daylight savings and the I-69 development uh, through Ukraine, were helped, you, you helped catalyze, uh, you know, you were a catalyst for those getting done. And so if you wouldn't have been, they were gonna delay the I-69 even further. Um, without, without the major moves project or uh, bill getting passed, now it, it passed in 2006, or 2006, but Crooks voted no, and that was the leasing of the toll road in Northern Indiana mm -hmm. for $4 billion. That gave us a 10-year uh, in-dot construction budget, you know, that we'd be able to fund those projects just from the just from that lease 
uh, of the of the uh, total of the northern Indiana uh, had a ten-year construction plan which was going to fully fund I-69 without taking out any bonds, but you know, with no long-term debt. And uh, he he knew that, but he still voted no. It's and, hard, and he knew the critical uh, nature of getting that highway built as quickly as possible. Man, that is so key because it's really hard to calculate the compounding economic effects of getting 69 done mm -hmm. and, and connected to Indianapolis. So yeah. oh, that's a great public service yeah. for that. Yeah, alone. Daylight savings, I don't have a whole lot to add to. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah it affects all of us, right? It does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I go back and forth to Chicago all the time and Evan, even Evansville. I mean, that's an oh, yeah. hour difference. So Well, and, and Mitch Danis had, had a legitimate point. We were, you know, we were. We were a state, as 90% as of the state, stayed on Eastern Standard Time year-round. And, and, and I know a lot of people get irritated with having to you know, you know, change your clocks. I get that. I mean, that's irritation for everybody. Uh, but we had, I think, functionally five time zones in the state. Before oh, wow. That. You had central, we had the central daylight time in the Chicago and Evansville areas. You had, uh, probably four, you had you know, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, that, that most of the state observed, and then you had areas around Louisville that observed Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if anybody was on you know Central Standard year round, but he said our our state is a mess. He said how how do we attract companies? And people ask what time zone you're in. Well, where do you live in the state? <laughs> right. Uh, and and his point was, at least if we're at daylight savings time, whether you're Eastern or Central, we are consistent with the rest of the country. Now you can argue is daylight savings time, you know worthwhile to do as a whole, that's that, that's a whole other question, but, you know, I think Congress has talked about just putting this, the country on daylight savings time year-round, um, or eliminating daylight savings time. I, I you know, I'm ambivalent on that, but I sure as heck, you know, we, you know when we were on Central Time in, in Dubois County for a year, being an hour behind 90% of the state really was a pain in the butt. I mean, so, you know, that, that's, you know, county by county is how the U.S. Department of Transportation determines time, determines time zones. So we'll never be on one time zone in Indiana. You'll have some people that'll never move off Eastern if you border Cincinnati or Louisville. And you have people that'll never want to move off, you know, off Central if they border Chicago. So we're never going to be one time zone. I don't think. As so we're talking about highways, so while we're doing that, Mid-State Corridor, mm -hmm. How is that in relation to 16, that situation? Are they totally different? They're really totally different. Uh, and, and in 2011, uh, NDOT was supposed to do a bypass, you know, taking, taking 231 from the Ohio River Bridge to I-64. It's four lanes. They, yeah. built, they built that. I think they wrapped that up around 2010, roughly. We got that open. And in 2011, they were supposed to get, start continuing that construction, you know, through Du Bois County. To the northern end, northern end of the county, and uh, then they announced they were going to pull the money out of that to, to fund more construction of, of I-69, you know, which that was the governor's decision. He could do that. So Mid-States Corridor is really nothing more than getting that that continuation of 231 uh, back on you know back on their agenda. Uh, there was a group of business owners that that formed. I think they called it the I-67 Coalition initially, just guessing that that would be, you know, a, a highway number they put on it. They never did. 
uh, but they changed the name to Mid States Quarter about five years ago. Okay. And and NDOT's got you know got got that project in what they call the Tier One evaluation now, and it's purely an NDOT you know function at this point. Um, I worked with uh, U.S. Senator Mike Braun when he was a state rep to come up with uh, it was a Senate Bill One Twenty Eight. That, and all that is, is is strictly allows a funding mechanism for local government and business in, in a, under a, um, if you have a, a re regional uh, economic district, you can, it allows them to help uh, offset expenses for, for NDOT, you know, allows NDOT to get their money to go farther by having local, local buy-in on, on NDOT projects. So I've gotten some criticism that, that, <clears throat> that Regional Development Authority has some control over the project, they don't. You know, NDOT and Indiana Finance Authority control that, that construction uh, process completely, just like, they, were, they would never have supported that bill, and, and all the Senate Bill 128 does is allows, allows local people to have skin in the game on NDOT construction projects. It could be done, it could be done on a project that's you know, strictly within a county, it could be extension roads to, you know, to tie into an interstate, that allows on you know, infrastructure, uh, you know, through an RDA, to be to be co-funded with you know the combination of local government and business can can chip in. So, NDOT loves the concept, and I mean they're supporting the Mid States Quarter because it's going to give them a blueprint on how to have you know local skin in the game on projects you know that they do uh, going forward. So by local skin in the game, you mean um, say Davies County, for instance, as an example, doesn't like the path and the county council gets together and develops their own like mechanism to where they think the path should go to benefit well, that or? I mean, not really because <coughs> the, the RDA, the local, I mean, we can't tell NDOT what to do. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean NDOT controls that whole, um, the, whether the tier one, tier one, tier two, I mean, they, they control the, the path uh, analysis I mean, anybody can put you know put comments in while they're going through those tier one, tier two studies. I mean, anybody in the public, and, and I put my own comments in. I said, you know, I supported the concept of the bypass around Jasper and Honeybird because you've got a lot of heavy trucks that come yeah. right through downtown. I'm just like your bypass on you know fifty one fifty. Right. Um, and that, you know, but my comment to them was once we get out of Dubois County, going north, when you're in Martin County. To try to stay on that existing 231 footprint as much as possible, yeah. just so you don't have you know a, a new highway built you know 2,000 feet away from the current highway. I mean, I, I get that you know Martin County didn't really like you know losing more you know more property, and and <clears throat> the goal is to increase traffic flow and make it safer. And, and yeah. I, you know I said you know add passing lanes you know on on the existing footprint uh, to 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 speed up traffic. As you're going from Dubois County to I-69, rather than construct a whole new, you know, highway in Martin County. Yeah, do you think they will lean that way? To the that's right now. in their Tier One study, that's it. Looks like that's the the path that they're going. Now they'll announce that probably. I don't know if it's going to be by the end of the year or the, or the first quarter in 2023. But I mean, that that's in that's tentative schedule is, if if not by the fourth quarter of this year, by the first quarter of next year. Okay. And then, then it'll go to the, what they call a tier two analysis, where they take that two thousand foot wide, uh, you know, buffer zone that they map out, and, and then get it down to about a five hundred foot buffer zone, you know, in that tier two uh, process. And, and then they, then they, I mean, right now the the T 
tier one doesn't doesn't say whether it's going to be a, a, a four lane you know uh, interstate level or a two lane a super two or I mean that that's not part of the tier one analysis it's basically narrow you know narrowing down one route mm -hmm. and I think you know two of the routes would have ended up in Davies County which you know when we started in 2011 that was that was the the path we expected that it would go was just be to, to bypass uh, Huntingburg and Jasper and, and connect I-69 over here. But a lot of people in the logistics business, business in Du Bois County didn't, didn't like the process of going, you know, 15 to 20 miles west, you know, and then, you know, they, they said that the additional highway mileage would be prohibitive for them to, you know, to run their trucks that way anyway. So that was, that was why MDOT, you know, pulled back, I think, when they did that tier one study and, and tried to get the most direct north-south route they could. Okay. Are there any exits <clears throat> that are being planned in between Jasper and Washington, or is it just going to be a uh, straight shot? Uh, I'm sure there will be exits when you get to the to the 5150. Mm, you know, right. there, there would be there would be connect, you know, connection. But there. in between? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, in land development, I'm just thinking ahead here <laughs> about yeah. potential. Uh, but no, it, it just it shocks me here in 2011 how long these things take to get done. Yeah, you're kidding. Uh, there's there's obvious reasons why this is advantageous for everybody as far as business and trade, but is there any uh, other pro uh, reasons why you, you backed up the mid-state corridor idea? Uh, I mean, the, the, ultimately the, the route, I was I was kind of ambivalent on the route. I mean, I, I can see the, the benefit of, of the increased uh, connectivity mm -hmm. and safer, you know, safer traffic Safety, flow. Yeah. If you've driven on 231, you know, north and south, there's no shoulders hardly anywhere. Right. I mean, the passing. I mean, it, it's heavily traveled. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's a death trap in, in many places. And so, so getting a, a safer, uh, a safer route, uh, you know, and, and and some ability to to add you know passing lanes to make it a quicker route, you know, it it it, it would it would help. And really, from you know from the river, you know, you start from Rockport. I'm getting them a better north-south route. I mean, it'll help economic development through that whole region. I mean, Spencer County, Bush County, Pike County. I mean, it'll. I think it'll ultimately, you know, help Davies County. And even if even if the folks from Washington would have to go east on 5150 to hit it, you know, it would give them a, a better direct, you know, gut direct south route as well. Yeah, because our route through there, we have to go through Awo mostly, yep. so yep. or Magodian and yeah. And and the feds built a billion dollar four-lane bridge across the Ohio River, I don't know, what's that, 20 years ago? And, and I mean, I mean, so it, I mean, the biggest expense that you have, you know, in that process of connecting, you know, into Kentucky and going south, you know, is that bridge, and that was already, you know, that was done a long time ago. I see an assortment of signs not supporting the Mid-States Corridor. What are some of those common reasons why people are opposing it so much? Uh, just the potential for losing property. That's what I figured. And, and, that's not unusual. I mean, and I don't blame anybody who could potentially be losing property to, to oppose it. Yeah. Uh, and, but when they started the process and they had five routes that really, it looked like it covered the entire county. You know, when they did the first five preliminary routes, you had a lot of people potentially in, in, in a ten thousand foot wide, uh, you know, zone that they were looking at times five. You know, you ended up with a lot of people that thought, hey, I could be, it could be going right over my house. It could be going right over my house. I don't, I don't blame anybody for opposing that. It uh, was really no different when I-69 got built through Davies County. Sure. I mean, Pike and Davies were in my house district and people that were in this property, 
you know, would, would definitely have reason to be upset if they, but I think most of them at the end of the day, if they got treated fairly on their, on their assessments from NDOT and, and GAP, right. and then we've really structured state law to require NDOT to, to actually pay more than, than the appraised value for property. That was my next question. What type of accountability is there yeah. on the state's part? The state really has a vested interest in not going to condemnation because when that goes to court and they go through the condemnation process, I mean, ultimately NDOT will win, but it'll cost them more to, to push something through, you know, the actual eminent domain process and, and court proceedings than to just settle and typically they sell a 10 to 15% over appraisal on, on, about, on about everybody. That's good info. Yeah. yeah. So you, you'd mentioned that um, homeowners, landowners can actually, it's still open right now because it's in the evaluation mm -hmm. stage and, and they can uh, send in their comments and concerns. Yep. Who, where, how do they do that? Uh, NDOT, you know, has a mid, there's a mid-stage quarter link that you can, you can type in, you know, mid-stage quarter, you know, NDOT. I mean, you just do a, a pretty simple Google search and it'll take you right to the comment section. I don't, I, they may have cut off comments probably at the end of July for the tier one, but as they get into tier two, I mean, it'll, it'll continue to still be open for comment. There's also, uh, on the other side, there's a, I don't want to say anti, uh, but there's a no mid-state corridor Facebook page that mm -hmm. is pretty responsive and has info for you as well. They, so would, probably, they would probably have you know direct link on that page to the, to the, yeah. comment, to the comment section. You know, I put my own comments in because when they were going to do the initial bypass, there was property owners that were on that path in 2009, 10, 11, you know, who had homes on the initial bypass route that wanted to sell but couldn't because it was on the, you know, on the original bypass. And I mean, I directed folks to NDOT, you know, to, to help get, you know, properties that NDOT's already bought properties on the, on the original you know, bypass route, um, and, and my comment to them was, you know, hey, you know, you've got a potential crossover, you know, at some of these, you know, some of these road, you know, crossovers, and, and you bought this property in 2008, 9, 10, because I, you know, I was familiar with the, the people who needed to sell it. I said, make sure you land, you know, in that same path, because you've already, you've already paid for right away, you know, mm -hmm. in a lot of those, in a lot of those places, and and, and you know, my comments were let's let's you know disrupt as you know, few homes as possible, yeah. obviously. And, and and if you've already you know bought properties on the on the old bypass route, let's stick to that as much as possible. And what? So I know some people that are their agricultural land is affected pretty mm -hmm. heavily. Um, I know you and, you and Senator Braun are big supporters on the Republican side. Just good to show the Democrats that we actually do care about the environment too. So how do you manage that side of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it ultimately, and one of the biggest property owners in Davies County that lost a lot of property was the Boyds. I mean, and, yeah. and, but ultimately they knew at the end of the day, I mean, and, you know, their main concern was if you're going to take my property, you know, treat me fairly. And, and at the end of the day, they supported the project. They, you know, they, they obviously that 69 cuts right through you know, and any any property owner, and and the 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 laws that that govern, you know, if you have property that gets split, you know, you know how they handle the you know the segment on the wrong side of the highway. I mean, we've got all those rules and laws stacked in the favor of the property owner. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, if the highway is going to create you know economic benefit for a region, you know, and there's there's justifiable reasons to 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 build, you know new highways, but you want to make sure that people that are losing property 
absolutely get treated you know as fair as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that the folks here that lost property, they just wanted to be compensated justly. And, right. and I went to bat for several of them. I mean, I, over the time of I-69 construction, it intervened you know, on, on behalf of, of as many people as I could okay. to, to make sure they got treated you know, by, the, you know, by the bureaucracy as fair as possible. Yeah, that goes back to my point in the previous two episodes is what you say to your state senator or state representative matters. So if you have an issue, get in touch with them. They could probably have a lot more detail than the general public has just because they know where to go and they may be in on the behind the scenes conversations as well. So just want to make that point that it's important to... Yeah, we can help. Yeah, absolutely. And is this not an obvious uh, point, but and it may not be, but uh, what type of land value increases do you see typically from a highway that gets put in? So some of these adjoining landowners may lose a little bit, but well, the value sure. of the property is going to go, it, go up. Anybody that's got property by, you know, by a potential interchange, it, it, their value of the property goes up exponentially. Yeah. What might have been a ten thousand dollar an acre, you know, crop ground is it's now up two hundred thousand. Yeah. I mean, yeah, hundreds to thousands of dollars an right. acre for. You know, so they're going to lose. You know, some of those people will lose some property, but what if they're in an, in an area joining an, an interchange? It's going to go up uh, dramatically. Okay. Yeah. So thank you for that. We're going to jump into SB one, which is the um, I'll call it the pro life or the abortion bill that was passed. Uh, you know, special uh, summer session. Um, so we had episode one. We had Shane Lindauer on here who came at you with the uh, pro-life opinion and we all enjoyed that conversation and um, he comes from the state house perspective um, where I think you'll, you'll probably hear Mark go more into the detail of what the bill actually says uh, what the guts of it are and how that kind of works behind the scenes mm -hmm. so uh, <clears throat> when the governor set the calendar for a special session he, he his only expectation was that we we would pass some kind of taxpayer relief, you know, because of inflation. Uh, that that was his. We had you know, we had a budget surplus. He wanted to try to get some money back to the taxpayer. Uh, he wanted to, you know, he wanted special session to to be that. But when they call when he calls special session, it doesn't limit the legislature from doing anything they want, you know, within that special session window. And so Senator Bray um, made it his personal goal. You know, to 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 get a you know some type of abortion uh, bill done during special session, and we talked about it before you know in late June, early July, and I uh, and and some other Senate leadership uh, team members, and I you know I said Rob, there's no way possible to get a bill this complex, probably one of the most complex issues we'll ever try to tackle. I said you you can't get that done and done right in two weeks. It, it's just not possible, um, and we didn't. I mean, I'll go into the de details of that. And uh, I said the timing is wrong. You know, I mean, three months before an election, and then what he ended up with, you know, his idea of, of a, an abortion bill, he crafted it talking only to a group of pro-abortion OBGYNs. He did not consult Right to Life at any level at any time, you know, before session or during session. On how to how to improve the bill, um, and I told him before session, that, you know, from, because of the content of what he was going to put in the bill and the timing of the bill, that I was going to be in opposition. 
I said that, do you want me to resign as a majority leader because I'm a no? And he said, absolutely not. I need to need you to have, have you as part of the team. I need you in, 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 you know, in your position. We need to hold the caucus together. And, I said, and, and he said, and no one will be expected to vote yes on the bill. He said, and he said that before session. He said, I don't care if it even passes. I just need, I need to get it as a personal commitment to, you know, to a third reading, you know, in the Senate, and if it passes or not, I don't care. Even two days before the, the bill went up for final vote in the Senate, <clears throat> he reiterated that again. And, and it passed the first, you know, the first week it passed out of the Senate with 26 votes. I was a no, as a clone would be. And then the following week, and when we, in the early July, when he asked for our calendars, he said, "What you know? When can you be there? When can you not be there?" And you know, I, I had a out of town business meeting on July 10th. I said, "I can't be there the 10th, and I can't be there the first week of August." And uh, and he waited to start session until we could have started on July 18th, uh, but our chief of staff was on a vacation in Argentina, so he chose to hold off another week to start, which then pushed us in August. And I said, "Do I need to cancel my trip?" He said, no, as long as we've got a, a quorum of Republicans there, don't worry about it. So we had three people gone that second week. Um, and he, he said, you know, no problem with that. Well, then, you know, a week after session, that all changed. My, my no vote then, you know, cost me my majority leader position. But I had offered to resign ahead of time. And if, if I would have known he was going to, you know, fire me from that position, I would have, you know, I would have stepped back before session. Uh, just on principle, but that's okay. Um, and, but when the bill left the Senate, it was already a pretty weak pro-life bill, but at least we had, for the rape and incest exemption, there was at least an affidavit required. We had some enforcement provisions in place for prosecutors who choose to ignore the law, um, but it was still a pretty weak, um, it really wasn't even pro-life at that point. The, the exemptions were still big enough to to drive a semi through that, and the pro and the pro life community hated the bill. There was nobody from any of the pro life organizations that supported the bill, even the first half of session. Um, and then when it went to the House, what protect what minimal protections there were in the bill uh, were removed. And in two thousand eleven, I was the co author of of the House bill. Oh, so are you saying the affidavit was removed for the rape and incest? Yes. So there's. There's no affidavit. They, the doctor can't question anything about it. I mean, they probably have to ask, you know, check a box. But yeah. they're, they're even prohibited from, you know, asking for any, you know, any validation of it. No, no, no affidavit. The provisions that allow the attorney general to pursue cases in counties where the prosecutors refuse to were removed. And the worst part about it. What was a pretty strict life of the mother exemption uh, to, in 2011, I was the co-author of the, of the when the 21 week when a baby is considered viable, I was the co-author of the bill that, that had a very strict life of the mother or, uh, you know, if there's a, if a woman would incur an injury that created a, a, a lifelong, you know, permanent impairment. I mean, it's pretty pretty tight, and that provision was never challenged in court from the day we passed it in 2011. That was taken out, and it was the life of the mother or the health of the mother. 
And the health of the mother can mean anything to anybody at their choosing. In general. Very, yeah. very weak and, and was intentionally done that way. So there was no enforcement mechanisms left. The life of the mother exemption was changed to life and health, which it could be anything a doctor chooses to call a health condition. And so we ended up with, instead of a good, you know, a minimally good pro-life bill, we ended up with really a, a, an abortion bill that, that moved us backward. So to me, that sounds like a pro-life show and a, and a pro-choice Yes, set, right? exactly, exactly. Now, it looks like something's getting done. It, yeah, yeah, but, but it was intentionally done that way. Yeah. So very, you know, very but, disappointing. And I, and I feel especially bad for people that were pressured, and there was a lot of pressure, you know, put on caucus members to, to push that through. That, you know, obviously, you know, I lost my leadership position and people, I can guarantee people were pressured into losing their chairmanship or feared losing their chairmanship if they, if they didn't uh, support the bill. Where is this coming from? I mean, even on the conservative side, we're seeing obviously a lot of conflict between this issue, but like, is, is it just uh, fear of anti-choice traps or just the, the overall the public uh, of Indiana, the, the general mass of Indiana disagrees with uh, pro-choice? I, I think the last statistic I heard, which I mean, statistics or whatever, but it's like 78% 70, of America, uh, Indian Indiana civilians disagree with yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. It's a very complicated issue when you dig down into the statistics. I mean, you've got about 10% of the population who clearly and, and aggressively want abortion up to the ninth month. I mean, they're, they're, they're the fringe. You have, you know, 10, 10 to 15% of the population that says, we don't want any exceptions. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's a pretty rigid, you know, but you, you have the other 80% that are somewhere in between, I want some type of restrictions, you know, even if you consider yourself pro-choice, there's very, other than that 10%, there's very few pro-choice who, who really believe past the first trimester, it is acceptable. You have most of the pro-life people that, that will accept, you know, a rape and incest exemption, because it, if, it's a, if it's a legitimately scrutinized exception, you're really dealing with just a fraction of percent of abortions. And I think most, even, even, I mean, I think the pro-life community as a whole would accept that if there was a legitimate standard to, you know, to validate it. Right. Uh, and, 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 and when you looked at the, the headline of the bill, I think that's what most people thought they were getting, was a, a, a rigorous, you know, rape and incest exemption and, and life of the mother and that's the way the headline went out. Yeah, but then when you dig into the details, you know, you, you see it's just not there. Now, theoretically, if you, you know, pull those loopholes big enough to drive a semi through out over time, you could, I mean, the framework's there to have a tight pro-life law, but, it, but the reality is it's not there at all right now. Well, considering that the framework's there, what do you think the outlook is on that? You think it's just going to rest the way it is for a while, or do you see an anticipation? As, as, as Senator Toms, who voted against the bill as well, he said, "How fast do you think people are going to be, you know, willing to run through that razor wire again?" Because boy, whether you were for it or against it, that was one of the most brutal two weeks that you know anybody's been through. 
And uh, I mean, there's always the I mean, there's always the hope, always possibility that you know that that some of those things get tightened up. But man, oh man, so it, it's going to be people are going to be very hesitant to to jump through that again. Well, other than just the fear of, or, or avoiding the anti-choice trap or whatever they, they're mm -hmm. calling it, uh, what, I guess the question I had is, where do you think that agenda is coming from? Is it coming from a bigger level of government that's pushing that agenda, or do you really think it's just well-done lobbying here uh, locally? I, I mean, I think the, 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 the well, the, I mean, the opposition to tighten up the restrictions. I mean, that's primarily, you know, from the people who benefit from the procedure. And there's, sure. a, there's a lot of money to be, to be made by Planned Parenthood and, and abortion providers, and, you know, they're not in any hurry to give that up. And, and I mean, they're the real, you know, they're the real push yeah, you know, behind that. And I, I, I think government leaders, I mean, legislators, I think to a high degree, you know, would like to see, you know, something tighter, but, I mean, and, and right now, the, I mean, the public, like I said, we talked about the 10% on each end and that 80% in the middle. I mean, that's a very, it's a very, very fluid, very, uh, very vague. I mean, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to, and, and the goal should be from the right to life community, and I said this to right to life, and I, you know, right to life leaders. And so we've had 50 years of, of ingrainment, of acceptance of, you know, of abortion in, in our culture. And to flip the switch and think, and, and, and you know, if you, the, 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 the point from the, I think that a lot, a lot of people consider themselves, most people do consider themselves pro-life with exceptions mm -hmm. or pro-choice with exceptions. And, and you really, we've had 50 years of a one-sided argument. Now's the time when the pro-life community really needs to wake people up mm -hmm. to understand the, you know, the brutality of what's going on. And, you know, when people have an abortion, that you're taking an innocent life, and and we've got to really now we've got to try to push the culture, and I mean it's not going to swim upstream, yeah. so to speak. I yeah. mean, what one generation embraces or what one generation accepts, the next one embraces, mm -hmm. and it's not just night and day like oh no abortion to abortion. Yeah. What you're saying is there's this is a very pivotal pit, uh, a time to pivot yeah. for the, for that large. Um, amount of Hoosiers yeah. that, that are still kind of, not undecided, but trying to find a hybrid solution, I guess. If you, if you looked at Roe Wade um, reversal as, as a win, it was a win. You know, that, I mean, that issue should have never been taken away from the state's ability to regulate it. I mean, I the Supreme Court, they didn't legalize, or they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do anything to, to move the needle on pro-life, pro-choice. They just said, this is a state's issue, right. not a federal you know, court issue, yeah. <clears throat> but now's the time. I mean, now the fight begins. Right. The fight didn't end, you know, with Broadway reversal. The fight began, yeah. and and so now now's the time to change the hearts and minds of people, and and it. I mean, it's going to take. You know, can can we get there? I, I believe we can because science is on our side. Right. I mean, there's clearly, you know, that that one week old, one day old. You know, fertilized egg has all the DNA structure of, of where, you know, of us as adults. I mean, right. it, it's, it's all there. The reality is there. The science is there. But, we, you know, now, I mean, but the public has been indoctrinated to accept 
you know, the right to abortion for so long, you know, I mean, now's the time to, to start, you know, to really get to work. Yeah, well, indoctrination, um, we've been desensitized, mm-hmm. not on abortion, just everything else, you know, we've got CRT creeping into schools, you have the, what I call the trans ideology, um, you know, I kind of refer to it as the weakening of America, but we've been going through this desensitization for 50 years, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, a lot of it really started, you know, if you're willing to accept killing the most innocent human being at the beginning of life, you know, or euthanasia at the end of, I mean, if you're willing to accept that, and over time our culture has been willing to accept that, you really, you really devalue the appreciation for, for human life at all levels. Right. And, and we're seeing that, you know, just, I mean, across, you know, across the country, across the world. And, and you know, when, when you look at, you know, violence and taking of, of you know, human life, whether it's mass shootings or whatever, I mean, I think that all stems, you know, the root of that is, is you know, if you're willing to kill the most innocent life, then, you know, then life as a whole loses its value. Well said. I love that point. Well, and it's virtue signaling. 100% from yeah. the uh, pro-choice side because pro-choice is freedom, mm-hmm. right? So, oh, conservatives are typically on the side of freedom right now, seems like, mm-hmm. but uh, which which liberty is more important, the liberty of the life that is unaware or the liberty of the one who made a choice and needs to bear the responsibility, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm also all in support of um, public access to contraception because contraception is a different argument than than abortion. Yeah. It's and, some and, sort of responsibility. Yeah, I mean abortion has become, you know, just really the you know, your backup choice to contraception. And 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 you know, we, you know like I said, we've been, been fighting fifty years of of cultural acceptance of that and um, there's a big difference between, you know, contraceptives and, and abortion. It's still a moral argument to be made you know, on, on the, you know, the correctness or not of contraception, but that, you know, that's really more of a personal, moral, you know, religious argument than a, than a public policy. Uh, I mean, if you want to reduce abortions, then let's make access to contraceptives easier. Right, and we made this point on the first episode with uh, Rep. Lindauer too, but uh, pregnancy care centers are mm-hmm. also a, a great asset in, um, uh, not culture, but a resource, resource for, for our community. Yeah, well, one, one thing that, that they had, you know, through this process was additional funding, you know, for those, uh, you know, pregnancy resource centers. I mean, yes. that, that, you know, that is part of the process to support people who, you know, who choose to, you know, bring their baby to term and, and support for the mom while she's pregnant, support for the, the newborn. So, you know, all, all good things, you know, there were some good silver linings out of that cloud that, that came out of all this. Yeah. So taking that, you know, we talk about um, desensitization and kind of the left agenda over the last four or five decades creeping in to where it is today, right? But what I've seen, like, and this is more of a, not really the state of Indiana, of course, but nationally from federal politics, they're way, they seem to be way better at marketing themselves than we do and, you know, my opinion is that's because they bring up the same three social issues for the last 50 years, and uh, that's what everybody gets emotional. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in today's time, no one can separate 
the policies from the man, policies from the woman, right? They have to look to, oh, I don't think that guy's a good person. You have no idea, right? Mm -hmm. Just like someone, I'm going to get on a tangent here, so I'll stop myself, but it's like someone will say, oh, Brad Pitt, man, he's a good guy. You have no idea if he's a good guy or not. You have no <laughs> evidence whatsoever. Everything that you see from him is surface level. Like you have no idea if he's a real human being, right? So mm. I stay away from that. And um, <laughs> I've said this on two episodes, but the only person that I know is pure and will always have my back and that I can talk about all day long and have no qualms about it is, is Jesus Christ. And so that's... That's where my backbone comes from, and if you've been listening to the show, you know that. So, um, my question—I'll get to my question—is: Does the GOP have a marketing problem? So, in the state of Indiana, it doesn't. In the red states, um, they're you know really red and not purple. Um, you don't really have to market a ton. You do, but not a ton. But nationally, you know. To put it bluntly, I mean, it just seems to just get our ass kicked in the media and um, in all these different forums that we have. Uh, so, Mike, you know, like, how, do, how do we combat that and do we actually have a problem? Well, it's, I think it's pretty clear at the national level we have a leadership problem. We have a very fragmented, uh, you know, national party, national agenda. I mean, really, I think the last time you could clearly state that the Republicans at the national level had a concise message to the to the voters of the country was probably 1994 when Newt Gingrich led the yeah. know, Republican Revolution. I mean that that year they had a clearly stated national agenda. You know clearly they laid out to the to the American public, ran on it and implemented it. And and you go and you take her, take us to 2016 when we had the the House and the Senate and the presidency, and there was more infighting. And those two years, they really, I mean, they almost got nothing done. I mean, they had a good, you know, they had their, their tax bill that they, they passed, which was, you know, a big, you know, uh, you know tax changes at the, at the federal level for business tax, for income tax, personal income tax. Great bill. But outside of that, and then I, and I think they passed the, uh, the bill that eliminated the mandates, you know, for Obamacare. But they could have done so much more. But they were so divided. I mean, the, the House... You know, just you know, fought continuously. But you know, when the Democrats get majority, by golly, somehow they find a way to stick together and push through what's important to them. But I mean, we we we've just we it's it's a void in leadership. And, and and whether you have, you know, you know Trump when he came in, and then you had the the people that were, <clears throat> you know, part of the institutional, you know, that they they liked the, you know kind of the status quo. There's been such a fight at the national level to, to have a clearly defined you know leader that represents the party and can and and can portray that and sell that to the public. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, didn't didn't you know work out for the Republicans in 2020. Hopefully, in 2022, we at least you know have some. And at, at a national level, I still think crime, you know, the border and and uh, runaway inflation. I mean, I still think that message is gonna is gonna carry and and. And you know, work as a whole for the Republicans. Uh, you know that we don't just pray that we get you know control of at least the House and, and hopefully the House and Senate, and minimize the damage that you know that Biden can do over the next two years. But I mean, th there's there's really 
uh, you know, I mean, you have the anti-Trumpers, you have the Trump supporters, and it's really kind of fractured any kind of any kind of you know clear, concise messaging, and and they have an identity crisis at the national level. Yeah, I I agree. So that also, you know, I I voted for Trump in 2016, um, and I actually didn't think he was going to be our our candidate from the Republican side, and that that surprised me. Um, but I was happy to support in 2016, and again in 2020, but. To run again, it's I would vote for him if he's our candidate, right? Because there's no alternative. But it's like a failed experiment for me, right? We I loved what he did. I think he woke people up, like he made them like watch TV and be like, wait, I need to start asking questions. So I love that. I love some of the policies he's put in place. But as far as to me, it doesn't mean anything if you can't be an effective leader, right? And I'm not saying that the cars weren't against him because they were. But you need someone that's more mild-mannered that can come in there and do the exact same thing, but communicate in a way you're like, okay, I want to go, like, go into, you know, some future war for America. I want to go fight for my country. I want to, you know, go to the Olympics and wear that flag around my back, right? I, I would do that anyways, but my point is that, that to be an effective leader, you have to bring that patriot patriotism um, to the floor and I feel like there's just so divisive so well divisive is the right word I You know, conservatives, it's not that they're necessarily losing an advertising battle, it's just that after 245, almost 250 years of democracy, what tends to happen in a democracy has already happened, which is the majority of Americans are now, and I, and I wouldn't say majority, but a, a much bigger amount of Americans have learned the system of democracy, which is vote for free, free stuff. Mm -hmm. and that group tends to get bigger over time yep. ju just because it always does. And so now you have a, uh, not necessarily a money issue, but you've got an economic um, incentive for most of Americans to support a side of the, uh, a side of the White House that uh, is promoting more free stuff or, you know, debt cancellation and things like that. So, um, I think what I'm, I'm going to try to tie this in, what you were saying, Jake, is we need a leader who is an expert negotiator, which obviously Donald Trump is a great negotiator. He wrote a book on it, but it's all about trying to find, get the other side to have your way mm -hmm. and, and not be so blunt force, you know, shove it down your throat. This is how it's going to be because right now we're in a tyrancy. This is no longer democracy. The United States, it's pretty clear that Joe Biden didn't get 77 or 80 million votes or whatever. And if that's the case, even if he were to get 49% of the votes, which I don't believe he did, that means that the majority of Americans did not vote for Joe Biden, but he is the president, which is sort of like a tyrancy. So 
advertising, negotiation, we need a leader who is able to get people to reinvest in what, what is American, not conservative d democracy, but to look ahead and say, okay, here's the problems that we're facing. We're not going to, you know, if you and I were looking to solve a problem, but all we do is look back and forth at each other and we're focused on the people and not the problem. We need to get somebody that's able to go, okay, let's shift our focus to the problems ahead. Let's deal with those first. And then we can deal with some of the, the conflict that we have between our two parties. And you know, the, the, the parties at the national level, I mean, the, the, the fracturing, the, you know, Republican versus Democrat, I mean, it's, it's such a caustic environment. They, they really don't, they don't even try to work together. Uh, and, and I loved, you know, every, every policy Trump brought forward. I mean, he's probably one of the only presidents that I've known in my lifetime that said he was going to do, you know, A, B, C, D, E. Yeah. And by gosh, he did it. He did. Now, you know, there's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of barnacles that went along with that. Um, I mean, I'd almost take a mean tweet, you know, now for what we've got today. Amen. Uh, but, I mean, the... You know, the, I don't, you know, can't say that I liked his personality, but I loved his policy. And if we could find somebody that can bring that type of good, solid, conservative policy, you know, but, but not, not have all the sideshows, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would agree. That would be my number one choice right now. Yeah. Which is, so you mentioned that. It's funny. So I listen to all kind of uh, political podcasts on both sides. Um, just to stay sane, but also keep informed. And you hear a lot of uh, conservatives actually on a national level say that, oh, I think Trump wiped the floor with his answers, which I actually disagree because everyone that I've talked to from a grassroots level, and I'm not in just Davies County, it's not an echo chamber, just everywhere nationally, would say the same thing like, oh, I would vote for Trump, but I really would like DeSantis to be our candidate. Yeah. It, it'd be more like I would call Trump the, having the vision. And DeSantis being the leader that actually puts it in place. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that Donald Trump will ever go away from the national scene. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, he, you know, he, he could bring value in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, yes. he he was a, a good you know a good visionary yeah. leader, but you know, he just had so many he picked too many fights that he didn't need to pick. And I mean, yeah. But I will say one you know from a foreign policy perspective, I think he. Uh, a great demeanor mm -hmm. that he was very well respected and if you didn't you were going to be made to respect him and we do not have that we did not have that with Obama I don't think we really had it with Bush uh, no I would agree either. maybe the first short Bush but I'm not sure what uh, W yeah and part of that just goes with Donald Trump's attitude in general towards any other country which is actually standing up and having a backbone well I mean it, you you Notice there's been no change to the foreign trade policy that, that Trump initiated and, and put into place yeah. when he was in, in office. None of that's been reversed. Because mm -hmm. they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, because we were, we were on the wrong side of every trade deal. Yeah. That we were, with, I mean, China, uh, European Union, Canada, Mexico, we were on the wrong side of every deal, ever, you know, ever done for the, ever done for the last 30 years. And Trump... Thank God he fixed. All, I mean, he fixed fixed all of them, and and you know, should America be first in those trade deals? Yes, yeah. we should be. We should be looking out for our best interest above and beyond, you know, anybody else. And and I I, I don't 
I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that the Biden administration hasn't made an attempt to change any of those because you know everybody would have to agree we you know we were on the wrong end of every deal that, that had been signed for de yeah. decades before that. Even NAFTA, right, which yeah. was looked at as a success under the Clinton administration on right. the surface at least, yeah. and now I, I deal with that every day in, in my job. The USMCA has done so much mm -hmm. um, and more. You know, I'm working more with the automotive sector, and there's a certain percentage of our vehicles, trucks, whatever, that have to be built in North America. And if you don't, you get heavy fines, like mm -hmm. heavy, heavy fines. So that's forced a lot of manufacturing to come back right. to the States, to Mexico. And so now we have like our own partnership that we can combat the EU and which are drowning over there, right? China has the tariffs still. And the only alternative you have really now is India, but that supply chain is not where it used to be. Um, we'll probably come back. It's not becoming nation, but it's given us an advantage again. I would say, you know, before we wrap things up here shortly, on a macroscopic level for the United States, wouldn't you say the most major problem that we're facing right now is the amount of money that's be being printed? I mean, because we can sit here and talk about social change all we want, but social change may change things economically, but economic change is definitely going to change things socially. And Powell and the Federal Reserve seem to think that modern monetary policy is the way to go, which I'm not sure if, if you guys have heard that, but it's yeah. basically, we can, just money print, we can just print as much money as we want, and except for pe this pesky thing called inflation, right? Well, and then the taxes drain that system out. And inflation, the government, when they, when they spend more than they've got, it only has two solutions raise your taxes to a confiscatory point that chokes off, you know, economic growth completely or inflation. Mm -hmm. And these inflated dollars are the only way to pay back, you know, when you've got more debt than you can possibly handle, you know, they, they, I mean, the outcome of all of this overspending that we've done for, you know, really, I mean, go back to Obama's years. I mean, the amount of debt we've accumulated in the last, Two presidencies is incredible, and the amount of debt that Biden threw on, you know, just in two years, I, there's only one recourse, and that's I mean, really in, inflation, and it's it's done intentionally. Now that now, you know, now they're going to say, well, we got to tame this inflation down, you know, so they're going to they're going to end up raising interest rates enough to drive us into recession. It'll it'll happen. It's not a question of if; it's just when. Because I mean, you can't. You can't drive interest rates up, and you know that much, and then not have a, you know, not have an economic downturn. We've had two quarters in a row of of uh, loss in GDP. So, are we in a recession already? You know, technically, probably. Yeah. Um, and, and and there's no way to keep raising interest rates. You know, and, and the Fed, you know, you know, claims they want to tame inflation, but the government doesn't want to tame inflation. And they, they want cheap dollars to pay back the debt that they can't fund otherwise. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and it seems like the only fix is if every individual in America tries to pay their debts. And, mm -hmm. and, that, and that may or may not even correct the, the overall value of the dollar dropping, but um, it doesn't look good. If you, if you look at the uh, trends or the, the patterns of former countries that started printing money at this scale, normally it was a 
stagflation period mm -hmm. after the inflation, which is a nightmare where there's no growth while also things are costing uh, significant amounts more than they used to. So other than just every American trying to become as financially independent as possible, what what changes does America need to make uh, in general to combat this modern mo mo modern monetary policy is not economics, it's politics. Right. Well, I mean, we could, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed that we can get Republican control, get fiscal responsibility, you know, I mean, just, I mean, start to cut back the massive overspending at the federal level. Yes. We, we have got to, and, uh, you know, the next administration, hopefully it's a Republican administration and Republican House and Senate, and and you know bend the cost curve. You know, start to start to cut back on the overspending. And I, I think one of the questions we talked about, maybe chatting on, was Senate Bill Two, yeah, as well. Mm -hmm. So we've got an inflation problem due to the government pumping money into the economy at a runaway level at the federal level, and and. Our, our position, my position from the Senate side going into this was we've got extra tax revenue for the, you know, for the taxpayers of Indiana. We need to cut spending or reduce taxes, you know, as, you know, and, and our choice was to pay down debt. So we still have an unfunded pension liability, you know, for state employees, you know, retired teachers. And our goal from the Senate the last, <clears throat> The last couple of budget cycles, really every year, we put about a, about a billion a year of our budget into paying down that un, unfunded pension liability. And our, our goal going in was, if we got a billion dollars extra, let's pay down more debt. It, you know, putting more money into the economy, even if it's at a small level, it's just as inflationary at the state level as it is at the federal level. Mm -hmm. But the House and the governor were so hell-bent on getting that political win, you know, sending people a check, you know, right before the election. Um, and, you know, ultimately we were either going to have to give, and, and we split the difference. We, you know, we, we gave a, you know, a smaller rebate to the taxpayer, but paid down more debt. I mean, you know, I mean, we wanted it to be all debt reduction um, and, and eventually get us to where that long-term liability, and once you get to 80% of your future obligations and pension fund, you're considered uh, fiscally sound, and, and we're not there yet, but uh, we, we still probably have about six billion of unfunded liabilities, and our, and our goal on the Senate side has been get that debt. It was, it was 15 billion in unfunded debt when I started in the General Assembly. Wow. And every year we've, you know, we've pushed it down, pushed it down, every year we've you know, put more of our extra resources into that. And at the end of this current budget cycle, if there's any, any, any extras, uh, half has to go into pension obligations and, and half you know, to a taxpayer uh, refund you know, that we had triggered at the end of the last budget cycle. But uh, you know, our, our focus should be debt reduction at the state level. If, it, if it's, it's sound policy at the federal level, it's sound policy at the state level. And I think next week they're getting ready to transfer two and a half billion of our of our um, extra reserves, they're gonna they're gonna transfer that money into the pension system next week. So we're gonna you know we're gonna see, hopefully that six billion go down to three and a half billion, uh, and then each you know each of the next few budget cycles continue to push that you know that pension obligation down to zero. So <clears throat> my question to that is: once we get that paid down to where it is zero, do you think it's more of a benefit? to have no income state 
no state income tax than it is to just give me a refund because so my argument is going to be I, I would I, rather cut the tax rates right. and we've got a we've got a a ten year schedule as long as long as the reserves keep keep up you know we're gonna we're gonna cut that income tax rate continue to cut it down okay. and we don't want to do I think it might have been about I think in two thousand twelve. 13, Kansas did a big income tax cut. Well, then the next budget cycle, they were completely you know, underwater and couldn't pay their bills. Mm. And uh, the, right, the right policy is to cut the tax rates, but we want to make sure we do it in a, in a, in a fiscally uh, doable manner. If you, you can't Keep the cash flow. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going we're gonna to get there over time. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we currently do have one of the lowest income tax rates in the country. I mean, there's yeah. a few states that have zero. They get their money, you know, from other mechanisms. I mean, a lot of states have uh, property tax. You know, a share of that goes to the state treasury. You know, currently, all property taxes stay local. I mean, every every state has, you know, they still have to pay your bills one way or another. But reducing income taxes is our long-term goal, and, and we will continue to, to reduce them over the next 10 years as long as the, you know, the the growth path continues, but sales tax is our number one, by far our number one income stream. Uh, and, and, and personal income taxes is number two. Uh, we need to do what we can to, you know, continue to push that down and, uh, you know, let, let economic growth, let the sales tax, and, you know, I don't think we want to, we don't want to increase the sales tax rate, uh, but I mean, currently, you know, there's still continued um, growth, you know, in, in the sales tax revenue base to the state you know, every month, every quarter. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, our sales tax is reasonable. Mm-hmm. I, mean, ten, ten, I mean, Tennessee has no state income tax now, but I think their sales tax is like nine and a half percent or yeah. more. So everybody really, I mean, you, it, everybody uses about the same chunk of their, their state GDP you know, right. to fund their government. You just, how you choose to take it. If we'd raise it too much, then Illinois, Ohio, Michigan would have a big sales tax advantage. And then those border counties would see, Loss in sales to people, you know, crossing the border to buy their stuff. So right, all, all has to be done. You can't do it in a vacuum. You got to, you know, factor in, you know, the the other tax rates in your joining states and be measured and 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 uh, disciplined in how you do it. So you think we'll see that tax rate cut to zero under potential Governor Braun? <laughs> That's possible. Yeah. yeah, we can root for that. Yeah. So for those that don't know, because like I don't, it's not really like a widely um, reported thing uh, unless you just go out and search for information. Uh, Senator Braun announced that he's going to run for governor, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, yes. He'll be running against Holcomb, which is fine. Well, yeah, well he's Holcomb's term limited, so he'll he'll be done. He can't run in 24. No, nope, he, uh, he'll be he'll wrap up his second term mm-hmm. and then he's out. I thought he was appointed. No. Nope. Okay. He, yeah. He, in 2016, he he. Uh, just a unique set of circumstances over about a six-month period, you know, got him on the ballot as governor with you know, with Pence you know, running as VP in 2016. Okay, that's so, right. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. So my mistake. No, nope, it's all right. I'm excited for for Braun to come back to Indiana, and I think this so is what we were talking about. He's he's ask he's also um, been spinning his wheels fiscally as a conservative. There, he's trying to do a number of things uh, in it's just, it doesn't go anywhere, right? Because he's at a disadvantage there. So, you know, I'm not asked him this question, but I'm sure one of the reasons he wanted to come back and run for governor is to to further that um, 
that agenda financially that he could be, and he said this many times, where he could do more in the state of Indiana for the people of uh, for Hoosiers than he could up at the um, uh, Washington D.C. So, so okay, that's Very a good, good good segue into. Uh, we're just gonna have some fun rapid fire questions, but one serious one. So, would you ever consider running for Congress as a next step, or do you enjoy what you're doing? Now, well, if I had to base my decision on the the current toxic environment in Washington <laughs> D.C., I'll use the, the broad comment. I can get a heck of a lot more done yeah. for the good of the people of Indiana here. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'll never say never to anything. Right. Uh, and and if the opportunity is right, and and I mean, I'll discern that you know through some prayer. You know, when that decision time comes. When I started this political process in 2008. I felt pretty confident that, you know, the next step was going to be, you know, Congress, but as, as divisive and toxic as the, as the atmosphere is out there right now, I'm not sure it's in, you know, that that's the, the, you know, the right next step, but you know, when the, when the opportunity comes up, whether it's 24, 26, um, open to anything. And and that's better to hear because the United States is a Republic more than it is a democracy. So we need to, to correct our homes, city, state, work, work outward. Yeah. So I like to hear that. All right. Uh, one of the questions I wrote down while we were talking for people that don't really pay attention to um, politics that much, what does a Senate majority leader do? Uh, functionally, your job is to set the rules for decorum on the floor uh, to, you know, to get, you know, get folks to the floor. And then you're, I mean, I mean, technically, you know, that's, that's the, the job is to, to conduct, you know, the, the, the rules for, you know, what's proper and what's improper when we're in session on the floor. And I mean, that, that's the, you know, the, in the rule book, I mean, that's, that's what the majority leader does. The pro tem is really, you know, they would be the majority leader, you know, the president of, of the majority side and the, the majority floor leader, uh, you know, just helps conduct business on the floor while we're in, you know, on the floor if the lieutenant governor is not there um, and the pro tem, you know, is not available. I mean, there's been a few times I've gotten up and conducted session, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of, you're, you're third in, you know, in command when, when the, if the lieutenant governor is not there or the pro tem has to step out uh, or if he's presenting a bill, you know, then, then there's been a few times that I got to uh, conduct session, which was uh, very exciting. Um, other than that, you're just, you're, you're there as to, you know, at the, to serve at the the bequest of the of the pro tem and and just assist him. I mean, I, I probably did more more uh, spent more time refereeing you know fights between caucus members <laughs> than anything else, uh, and and just you know just in helping guide input from you know when people were affected by potential legislation. You know, helping you know take input of that. I mean, that's not really a, 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 an official rule, but you know, helping our caucus members and guiding them, you know, on, on getting, you know, bills moved through and, and you know, taking input from um, real-life individuals that are, you know, impacted by bills. You know, sometimes legislators don't do a good job of listening. Right. And so sometimes, you know, I was that, that pair of ears that listened to the complaint or the constructive criticism and then went to the author and, and, and helped, you know, help guide policy. Okay, yeah. So very important role. Um, all right, so more fun stuff. What book are you reading now, or what book uh, would you recommend? 
The one I'm reading right now is Confessions by uh, Augustus. <laughs> oh, so you're into to, uh, uh, philosophy, mm-hmm. are you? Yeah. You, yeah. you just made him the happiest man. Yeah, in the we'd, world right we'd there. be... We'd Friends, we can uh, we can talk more about that later. Uh, I, I listen to a podcast pretty regularly called Pints with Aquinas, and it's really you know if Thomas Aquinas weighed in on on policy of the day, you know what would he have to say? You know whether it's political, religious. Uh, you know, so I listen to that a lot, and 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 Augustus was a was a person that Thomas Aquinas you know went to a lot for you know for background and and you know theology answers to the questions of, of the day when when he was here. Uh, let's see. So, or do you have another question, Jacob? I had a question. Yeah, but you can you can bounce them off. So I was I was going to stage a single question for every guest, and I thought about this. Our our show is about attitude, what it means to be an American. The staunch means to be loyal and committed to an attitude. And given the current problems and solutions that we need in America, what would be like if if people know you? Uh, coin a certain phrase a lot, or, or I guess the question would be, what phrase would describe that? That would describe a philosophy or an attitude that would be the best cure for American problems. Uh, just going back to our roots, I mean, our our, our country was founded on the uh, a personal responsibility. Uh, I yes. mean, and solving problems at the at the closest level to you know where where people live you know at all possible i mean decisions made by people at home are going to be a whole lot better solutions to the problems we're dealing with than some mandate you know shoved down from washington dc yeah i mean we're we are we should be it, we are a republic we should have a republic that's based on you know, uh, you know the rights uh, of states. Uh, some, some, you know, as much control at the state level as possible, as much control at the local level as possible, because uh, you you get much better solutions to any problems our society faces when when they're driven and 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 responded to at the local level. Yeah, personal responsibility starts yep. at the heart, then the home, yep. then the city. Fix, fix, fix yourself, fix your family, fix your community. You know, I mean, all, all of those things. Uh, and you know, and for anybody getting involved, wants to get involved with anything, you know, in in you know in politics, help fix your community. Help you know, do what you can. Get involved in in community service at any level. I mean, you know, you you help you know help build up your community. Uh, there's tons of ways to volunteer. There's tons of ways to get in, you know to get involved in, in making your community better, making your home better, making your church better. All of those things that you know. That that's how you build and make a better better state and a better country. Amen. Can't agree more. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite movie. Hmm. Or you give well, you can give two or three if you need to. I'm I'm kind of a Star Wars series junkie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some good philosophy behind Star Wars. Yeah, love love Star Wars. Have you uh do you pay attention to the new series that come out or are you just uh, old, I, old I mean, style the, the old style. I mean I I, I might have watched probably one of the. After the first six, I think I've watched you know one or two of the new ones, but yeah, the, the old, the original, you know, the, either the first three and then the the three prequels. I mean, yeah, just just love the storyline of all of those. Yeah, have you, you got to check out the Mandalorian if you haven't either. It's on. That's a very good series. So, um, favorite, like either musician or like genre, whichever you want to you want to go with it. Probably my favorite musician, uh, a, a guy who plays acoustic guitar called Tommy Emmanuel. Tommy Emmanuel. Easy to pull him up on YouTube. 
this guy can make one guitar sound like four people playing. <laughs> I mean, it is, yeah, it, it's, I, I love a good, whether, I don't care if it's guitar player, piano player, I'm a trumpet player, you know, love Chris Bodie, plays trumpet. I mean, I, I, I cast him as my, you know, my model, role model on, on how to play and what to play. Um, but I mean, just, you know, I would say, I would probably put Chris Bodie on trumpet and Tommy Emanuel on guitar uh, to watch those guys play. I mean, just, yeah, just I'm, I'm going to Chris Bodie concert at the end of November down in, down in Nashville. Can't can't wait to see him again. Since uh, post COVID, these guys are you know now out doing concerts again and love. I mean, love all kind of genres of music, but you know those two would be my two personal favorites. Okay, awesome. Um, so last last question. As a business owner and a a leader in the Senate, like what is how do you be effect? How can you be an effective leader? Like, how does I don't know whether how does your day look like? How do you um, compartmentalize those two, balance it, and still be effective? Makes sense. Uh, when we're in session, you know, January through either early March in a non-budget year, or January through April. I mean, you know, the I mean, the reality is my you know my brain really has to lock in on you know what we're doing in the in the general assembly. I, I still go in on Fridays and Saturdays when we're not, you know, not in session and try to, you know, try to keep up with, with, you know, things that are going on in the business. Fortunately, I have two brothers that I'm partners with that, you know, they, they keep the majority of, of the day-to-day operation, you know, handled on it when I'm gone. Are you the oldest, youngest? I'm, I'm the middle. Middle? Yeah. Yep. I'll see you're the, the redhead in the group. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those family dynamics work in every family, just about the same. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when we're done with session, I mean, it's really almost got to be like, you know, within 24 hours, your brain's got to flip and, and go and get back into the, you know, into the construction, you know, service business mentality. Um, and throughout the year, whether we're in session, out of session, I mean, there's always people every day, somebody calls, emails, you know, needing help, you know, with some type of bureaucratic hangup they've got with, you know, the state government. So uh, inter- intervening, you know, throughout the year, trying to, you know, fix problems for constituents, uh, that, that never stops. And I mean, I've had some very, what I thought were very impossible requests, you know, that have come from constituents, but surprises me, you know, I mean, when you call a, whether it's a, you know, state institution, I mean, and, and when they call with federal problems, I usually direct them to, you know, Senator Braun or, or, Congressman Bouchon's office, but um, the you know the you really have to be able to pivot on a dime, you know, yeah. and 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 the whole time I've got to make sure I balance the the personal uh, family <laughs> needs of my wife, yeah, you know, because if I come home on a Thursday afternoon and I and I don't detach from what's been you know usually it's phone calls all the way home. Uh, it, it, when I get home, I better shut all that down, and and when I don't. I get reminded pretty quickly uh, from, from my wives are good at that longtime bride, uh, best friend of my life. Uh, you know, she, she reminds me pretty quickly that, you know, Hey, I'm here and I, and that's time, you know, for her to get my attention. So always got to maintain, you know, try to balance the three political life, family life and work life. And uh, it's, it's difficult at times. I mean, this, you know, the, the demands to, and it's tougher to balance all that, you, you wouldn't think so, but when, when we're not in session, you know, I mean, now is when, you know, when we're in session, people at home kind of leave you alone. You know, they, he, he's busy. He's in Annapolis. But when you're, when you're uh, not in session, you know, 
people want and, and need you, you know, to, yeah. to, to be involved in things that are happening at the local level and, and, you know, try to get to as much as I can, um, outside of the, you know, the, the job that actually pays the bills and, and, but I, you know, got to make sure I'm there enough to support the business and, and, but, you know, but still getting out in the community and, and helping fix problems and negotiate, you know, people that, are, you know, aren't getting along at whatever the issue is. I mean, at, even at the local level, you still got to go in and be the negotiator many times. Right. And, you know, the art of being good at, at getting legislation done is, you know, taking an idea that I had or, or somebody, you know, brought to me to request and, and being able to listen to, you know, the opposition, listen to what they're saying and, and look at what, you know, what you're trying to do and, and, you know, adapt what I've, you know, get my goal done. But at the same time, if people that are opposed to what you're doing or have constructive ideas, I mean, I probably learned more from my opponents, you know, on an issue of, of what I missed or things that I didn't foresee. Uh, but whether that's, you know, that, that's a, in business, that's it, you know, when you're helping, you got to be a good listener, whether you're dealing yep. with customers, whether you're dealing with constituents, or whether you're dealing with, with policy, you know, and trying to work through issues in the House or Senate, you know, as you're, as you're working bills through the process. It, it, the, the, the process, the personality, you know, all, all those things really don't change no matter what you're doing in life. Yeah, it's a, it's a skill, active yep. listening. They yep. teach it at a grade school level. It's important. Okay. Well, Mark, thank you again for joining. Um, thank everybody for, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.